Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, your episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon and now anime series. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me on quite the adventure on this week's edition of the podcast as we continue our foray into the Headmaster's continuity from Japan, my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing on a day where Cybertron is in danger? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, grave danger, no less, and they weren't kidding either. So, um, yeah, like if 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 ever we were looking for episodes that live up to their billing, it, it would be these. <laughs> You ain't wrong. And it's worth mentioning, if you are a first-time listener, thank you very much for checking out the podcast. We hope you enjoy it. If you've never checked out any of our podcasts before, we have literally talked about every single episode of Transformers from the beginning of Season 1 of the American Continuity right through Season 4, i.e. the final three episodes, and then we switched over to the Japanese Continuity, specifically from Headmasters. And today, we are going to be talking about Episodes 9 and 10. So if you want to catch up from from the beginning of the Headmaster's continuity, episode 33 is the place to start. And the the episodes we are discussing today, Andy, it is a, it is a two-parter story, which, man, that really lent itself well to the, when it came to the storytelling, in my opinion. As we have alluded to, it is Cybertron is in Grave Danger, parts one and two. Quick point of reference as well for everyone. We, we're basically watching this via the old Metrodome UK DVD release, circa 2004-2005, but you can also find the episodes in their entirety on YouTube as well if you search for them. So you've got options to be able to watch along should you want to do so. But Andy, this two-parter story, general thoughts as a whole as to what you thought? Yeah, it's... I kind of came into these episodes and it, they sort of started out being like, oh yeah, this is kind of kind of pretty typical Transformers fare. Like, uh, I, I guess a, a slight twist on the norm in in terms of like, oh, it's the Autobots making the crazy new thing and the Decepticons are trying to steal it rather than the Decepticons are making the crazy new dangerous thing. Um, but yeah, like it kind of, it, it grows into its story as it goes. Um, and then, you know, it kind of, it sets up the stakes, it raises the, the stakes and then... You kind of assume that you know what's going to happen because you've seen this story pan out a million times before and it always ends the same way, but not this time, apparently. I mean, <laughs> and, and again, in retrospect, maybe maybe I, I should have seen this coming given, you know, we've already had them quite readily kill off Optimus Prime again and for good this time earlier in the series. So, like, you know, this is this is a show that apparently isn't too afraid of subverting people's expectations, but it certainly goes and does it again here. Yeah, and I think that lends itself. I'm pretty sure it's something we've discussed before since we started Headmasters, but this is very much a Japanese anime where, from our experience, both as fans and professionally on Endeavours, they're not afraid to pull punches when it comes to the storytelling. Whereas if this story had happened in let's say an american produced continuity i doubt it would have ended exactly the way it did yeah i mean even transformers the movie didn't go this far like (laughs) when you think about it like you know even even that kind of pulled that particular punch and said no no maybe not that um but no apparently nothing is sacred in the world of the headmasters it is saying something when you say even transformers the movie didn't go that far and then you just think wait a minute, a heck of a lot happened in that. You can't say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, but that that is exactly how it goes. 
So, what are we talking about first? Well, obviously, it is episode 9, Cybertron is in Grave Danger, part 1. Let's get on the road, there is a lot to discuss. We begin with the narrator saying the following. In this episode of Transformers, Vector Sigma is undergoing checks after fierce fighting between the Autobots and Decepticons. Peace is restored to Planet Cybertron, but one day, Planet Cybertron's mother computer, Vector Sigma, makes a discovery. End quote. Now, during this voiceover, we the viewer are seeing panning shots across the landscape of Cybertron. Then we're going underground into the heart of Cybertron, if you will, to where Vector Sigma is located. Vector Sigma itself is shining brightly, but we see a pretty big computer, which I think is the first time we've seen that, Andy, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, having lots of calculations on the screen. And then on the other side of the room where Vector Sigma is, we see sort of lots of... I'll say sort of like conveyor belt style machines at work, sort of factory machines, if you will. Just creating something and pouring what appears to be some kind of liquid into large receptacles, if you will. That's kind of the best way to describe it. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought this was just like the Transformers canteen on Cybertron. It was just, like, <laughs> it was just, it was just serving up the, the canteen lunches, but apparently not. <laughs> Yeah, so it's worth kind of backtracking a little bit from, well, at the time we're recording this, quite a few months ago in terms of podcast recording. But as we noted in episode 33 of the podcast, which was when we talked about the first few episodes of Headmasters, in Chris McFeely's commentary track on my DVD set, he talked about that in the Japanese continuity, the idea that Vector Sigma somehow controls the balance of power on Cybertron. And in the episodes that we've discussed thus far, that has really played out to varying degrees. And this, this is partly why it's allowed the Autobots to remain in power. And this is also partly after the release of the Matrix, Matrix's power during the season three finale of The Return of Optimus Prime. Now, I mention that because some of what is discussed later on as we progress through the story, this is going to, to, to become apparent as to why it is an important element. Because I'll tell you what, Andy, I had to think about why, is, why do I feel like I've forgotten something really crucial? And it was that element because man does Vector Sigma play a heck of a big role. And if you've forgotten that kind of little detail, it plays a big part into your enjoyment and, and understanding of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I, I kind of recalled all of that stuff. But yeah, ve ve with, with some pun intended, Vector Sigma is the key to this uh, to this particular story. <laughs> nice season two callback there. The narrator then continues, quote, But Sound Blaster discovers the secret and informs Galvatron. This puts planet Cybertron in grave danger. If on your Transformers bingo card you had name the episode title in, in some dialogue, you can check that off very early in this episode. We then see the various cassettes of Sound Blaster being in the large room where Vector Sigma is, keeping a watchful eye on things, including Rumble, which I think it's the first appearance of Rumble in the show, Andy, in Headmaster, I can't remember exactly, but he looks very happy, looks at Vector Sigma and just goes, this machine is amazing! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't recall whether we've had any we maybe had a little bit of rumble, I don't know. All I knew is that Rumble was happy to see the machine. I was quite happy to see Rumble because it's like, yeah, I feel like we've not seen you in a hot minute. So, well, welcome back. <laughs> we then cut to Sound Blaster recalling his troops minus Rumble, it should be noted, not that that actually plays into anything later on, mind you. And he returns to Planet Char to report to Galvatron that, quote unquote, Vector Sigma has developed Cyber Tenuron, 
Cyberteneuron. I'm gonna have very great difficulty saying that today, but that is what it is. <laughs> so yeah, I I, I like I, I almost feel sorry for the writers because clearly like the obvious thing you go for is Cybertronium. They've already used that in canon, so it's like oh god, we've got to think of another like Cybertron thing that sounds like a metal <laughs> alloy, and they clearly had a very long struggle before they came up with Cyberteneuron, which is a mouthful at the best of times. Yeah, and another fun fact about that as well is that it was actually Cybertonium, not even Cybertronium that they used in the American continuity. So at a push, if they really wanted to, they could have used Cybertronium, but then loads of kids would have got confused. Yeah, yeah. So Soundwave follows up with, quote-unquote, it's a compound which is many times stronger than Cybertonium. So we're now going back, Andy, in many ways to a follow-up of what at this point was a season two episode for us when it came to them needing to get more Cybertonium and such. So it, it is fun that they're actually delving deep, in essence, into the lore of Transformers that really has just never been acknowledged again since those episodes. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. Like, I, I feel like there's been other bits of Transformers media that have sort of gone down these lines of, like, yeah, diminishing resources on the planet, etc., etc., beyond the obvious, like, fuel side of things. Um, but yeah, there's a. It's one of those things you can never be too sure how much of this is a deliberate through line versus, like, this is just a convenient plot point to use again. Because um, yeah, there's there've definitely been some adventures in new alloys across the uh, across the course of uh, of the franchise. Galvatron badly wants to acquire this new discovery, and we see imagery of him striking down Rodimus and other Transformers with what I've written down, Andy, is a very large energy sword. Because I couldn't quite figure out how that related to cyber to Cyberteneuron and what. Yeah. And I, I I sort of liked all of that stuff for two reasons. One, because it felt like your typical anime, like, budget's a bit tight this week, fellas. Can we have <laughs> some still frames that we just pan over? Because there's a fair bit of that over these episodes where you get kind of like, you know, no action, but just slightly more kind of stylistic still shots that they can pan over. Um, also, they use these particular shots twice. Yeah. Like it's, it's like some kind of weird shared dream because Rodimus has these visions later on of these exact same shots. It's like, hmm, this doesn't seem so good. Um, <laughs> but also, I am a real sucker for that kind of particularly stylized sort of still action shot of just like, this looks really cool. This would be a really good like shikishi artboard for somebody to sign somewhere um and it's it's a very different sort of style to your typical like transformers kind of you know cartoon um but but yeah it's it's the, i feel like it's maybe not entirely the first time this series has done it but it's the first time it's done it like this and it's just like oh this feels like they're cutting some corners but also it looks kind of rad so i'm here for it yeah, I was thinking that as well in terms of how much has it happened. There's definitely probably been the odd moment here and there, but nothing to this degree. But given the amount of fighting that will ensue in these two episodes, it kind of doesn't surprise me they maybe ran out of time trying to animate it all <laughs> in many yeah. ways. But it was still nonetheless very interesting to see that. Yeah, yeah, de definitely. And yeah, like, pl please give us more of Galvatron with a cool energy sword because, you know, it always goes down well. So the Decepticons believe that this Cyberteneuron substance will make them invincible. Soundblaster himself making a comment that he thinks it would help them conquer the universe, let alone Cybertron. The conversation then continues as follows. Galvatron says, It is a compound which only Vector Sigma can create? Soundblaster responds with, Yes. The question is, how do we get hold of it? 
Galvatron responds with, that's easy. We just seize it from Cybertron. Yeah, it's easy. I, I feel like Galvatron sk- skips a few steps in his logic process there. It's like, yes, that is the final step of this, but you might need to do some thinking before you get there. <laughs> we then go to Autobot HQ on Athenia, with the narrator saying, quote-unquote, slightly later than Sound Blaster, Twincast obtains the same information he reports to Rodimus. Now, Rodimus can already anticipate the enormous potential of the Cyberton Neuron. In the background, we randomly see that... Now, okay, I I need to actually pause, I'm going to say this, Andy, because I feel this is an important note when it comes to Transformers health. I'm glad glad you're bringing this up because I was all poised to also bring this up. So yes, let's please discuss this. So I think for the first time ever, except they're maybe doing a race or something, we actually get to see Autobot headmark... Well, headmasters, let alone Autobots, but the Autobots literally doing a gym workout we see some of them lifting dumbbells a proper like weight bar one's running on the treadmill runs one is just like on a bike i think it's chrome dome who's on a bike and it's just like do we have to keep training and everyone's like what do you mean we'll get beaten up by the decepticons if we don't (laughs) yeah i mean i mean the the only note that i made about this is just why do transformers need a gym question mark yeah because i mean they are machines they are robots they don't have muscles as far as we can tell they are they don't need to work out also my other follow-up question which i didn't write down is are the machines in the gym also transformers can they transform into robots is there a spin-off side story of like the gym masters or something someone must have done a fan at least a fanfic of it somewhere <laughs> but yeah it's it, so I'm, we're thinking far too much about this again as we normally do, but there is part of me that makes me wonder if it's to do with how they, the headmasters themselves, had to evolve on Planet Master through all the harsh weather, and maybe there is just like an organic, a slightly organic element to them that we're not fully aware of yet. I mean, that would sort of, that would definitely, that would make sense with like the rebirth continuity in particular, where the heads are human, and you could argue that there's maybe some weird bioorganic. Then, but then surely you just get your head to work out. <laughs> I mean, literally, I mean, honestly, I've never wanted to be a headmaster so much as the idea that you could just take your head off, let it do a workout and you can just do something else. Um, I'm kind of jealous of that concept. Um, But yeah, I don't know. There's probably something, something Transformers, law, biology, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, it didn't really make any sense to me on any particular level beyond like what are we going to show them doing like in this otherwise just dialogue intensive scene it's like ah, put them in a gym i don't know and even more confusing when you think about the fact that technically the bodies of the headmasters are just like husks they're not actually the headmasters themselves yeah yeah i mean again yeah like even more so here because again rebirth continuity there are at least two kind of beings um but yeah I don't know. Yeah, somebody maybe maybe we'll get to the end of this episode. We'll check out the the wiki and it'll tell us all. But I doubt it. I think this is just a <laughs> bit dumb. <laughs> we then cut back to Planet Char with the narrator saying, "Quote unquote." Meanwhile, Galvatron, the incarnation of evil, is making plans. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's what Galvatron has on his business cards? It's like, <laughs> Galvatron, incarnation of evil. Here's his fax number. <laughs> it's a great title. <laughs> so the gist of the plan that, that Galvatron has with this is 
he wants the Predacons to go to Cybertron as an advance party, but remain undetected. Galvatron then walks elsewhere and literally bumps into the, well, I say literally, he kind of wanders nearly on top of it, the Shadow of Zarak, as I've now decided I'm going to phrase it for a while, who is still a shadowy figure, as I've implied. But, Andy, crucially, we can now see his mouth moving. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually really like this as a kind of very gradual reveal of this character, because mm. to start with, he was just referred to by name and we didn't really see anything. Then we had him rocking up with his fog machine and we couldn't really see anything <laughs> but a silhouette because he, he really likes that. Um, but now, like, yeah, we've seen a bit more of him. We can see that he is mechanical. Um, and it's like, yeah, I know. I, I really like this as a through line that we're slowly getting to see a little bit more of this shadowy figure um, until, assumably, he'll be, be fully revealed at some point. Like, it's a really, it's a really nice and kind of unspoken little subtlety. Like, it's not even kind of discussed in dialogue or by other characters particularly it's just it's just his vibe and that's it um but it's it's cool like i really like it as a little thing within this series yeah part of me did wonder if the mouth animation needing to be added is what partly made the fighting animation budget have to take a dive for the few episodes <laughs> yeah. yeah like you had two choices you can either, either have some better action scenes or zarak's mouth well i guess we're gonna have zarak's mouth then well, it turns out in this ep in these two episodes, we're starting to establish the fact that Zarak doesn't really trust Galvatron, which is quite a. I'm guessing is going to be quite a big detail long term, especially of what happens later on in the story. But he begins questioning if Galvatron can definitely complete the plan he has or not, and Galvatron sort of specifically mentions, "Why are you always against what I'm going to do?" And Zarak responds by saying, quote-unquote, there's no guarantee the miracle alloy, which is another thing they refer to Cyber Cyberton as in, the, in these two episodes, just for point of reference, can be created. It's irrational to steal it from Cybertron. Galvatron says back, are you telling me what to do? And Zarak says, no, but I don't want to make sacrifices in vain. And Galvatron then responds with, very bluntly and quickly, I decide if it's in vain. Get ready. <laughs> but this tension, though, it's... We've kind of had little hints that Galvatron was kind of like, oh, what are you doing here, Zarek? What is your deal? But this is the first time I think we've seen proper... Almost animosity between the two sort of come to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's been a sort of slow-building, slow-burning thing of, you know, clearly there's... There's some kind of rivalry there, um, but yeah, it's kind of really writ large in this scene in, in a way that we've not seen before. And again, it's a bit of classic sort of Transformers Decepticon shenanigans in particular, because whether it's kind of Starscream on the more kind of whiny end of the spectrum or, you know, some somebody like a Scorponok slash Zarak who clearly has designs on kind of, you know, being leader and actually the, the chops to back it up. Like, it's, it's quite a... A delicious kind of possibility when you think about it that you know you've got these two kind of very powerful Decepticons who are going to end up duking it out for the leadership and you know they all have their own factions obviously like Zarek has his own headmasters you know Galvatron has some other troops so yeah it's a really nice and again this is this is one of the nice things that this series is doing by not being completely episodic like it is building these through lines in a way that I mean, I guess, I guess, like the US cartoon did, 
a fair amount, but not to, in quite the same depth. Like, that always felt like it had to reset to default somewhat, whereas this is clearly actually building characters and building plot lines in the background that it's going to unleash later on. So, yeah, I, I also really like that side of things. Yeah, it is very nice to actually have a through line of a story throughout a series for a change. And I appreciate the American cartoon is what it was. It's not ragging on it by any means. But it is just nice to actually get that through line, which is what we have had so far in these first eight episodes leading to this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I also like how this argument ends like in the way that you're an argue, like a, 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 an argument with your parents ends, where you, you, your dad's just like, well, just do it. <laughs> it's like, it's, <laughs> like he, he knows he's lost the argument, but it's just like, well, I'm your dad and I'm just telling you to do it. And it's like, okay, Galvatron, <laughs> fine. We then see Astro Train flying towards what we later find out is Earth, and the narrator says, quote, Galvatron doesn't change his mind once it's made up. He has decided to stop at nothing from getting the alloy from Cybertron. End quote. Astro Train lands, and we promptly see both Galvatron and Sound Blaster run inside a building. The Decepticon Headmaster then also emerge from Astro Train, but then we also see that the shadowy figure of Zarak is on board waiting at the door, who tells them, quote unquote, I am not happy with this plan. Be mindful of what Galvatron is involving you in. Now, what the Decepticons don't see throughout all of this is that Twincast and his cassettes have been monitoring them from slightly afar, and then they report to Rodimus. During this scene, there is a fun moment of dialogue, which goes as follows. Cup saying, Three days of peace are always followed by four of battle. Blur says, What's that you're saying? Cup says, that's Galvatron's weekly behaviour pattern. RC says, is he quiet for three days and raging for four? Cup says, yes, it's the pattern they always follow. I mean, it's, it's, good, it's good to know that Galvatron basically works a four-day week. Like, exactly! Quite, you know, he's quite quite progressive in his, like, employment policy that, you know, he lets, he lets everyone have a three-day weekend every every week. So, uh, I, nev I never thought I'd be on board with any of Galvatron's ideas, but actually, like, I think I think we should we should applaud his, his use of the four-day week. Well, Galvatron specifically works a four-day week. I mean, this is true. <laughs> I, I just like to think that he's, you know, he's, he's implemented it across the organisation. Chrome Dome and Hardhead then promptly head for Earth, with Fortress emphasising to them, this is just for reconnaissance. Don't get involved in any Decepticon activity. But meanwhile, on planet Cybertron, says the narrator... We see two Autobot guards have now found the Predacons just milling about on Cybertron, just checking their weapons, you know, doing clearly a really good job of remaining undetected. They get found by these two guards, and they, they just attack them. One gets shot down, the other one runs off to HQ to report. I was also just, was really kind of liked the design of these like generic Autobot guards. It's mm. just like I I always like it when you just have a non kind of named Transformers, and it always surprises me like how much effort they put into them a lot of the time. Because it's like oh these are actually like interestingly like distinct from normal. They're not just like blocky Robot Man one, blocky Robot Man two. It's like oh they're kind of crafted and sculpted in a certain way, and it's like that's kind of cool. 
Yeah, they did have very much their own sort of individuality rather than just being generic, like you say. And, I mean, they don't, they really don't in the grand scheme of things, but at first I kind of thought they look similar to something like Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. There was just like an air of that about them, although they're not very much like them at all. Yeah, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of kind of sort of Alpha Trion-esque design to them. But yeah, I know, they're just a bit more swell. <laughs> they look better than some of the actual Transformers. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, it's just, I don't know, I always find that cool. Maybe they were one of the, tre- the Treadmore Transformers, you know? Yeah, yeah, it could be, it could be the <laughs> continuity we were looking for. <laughs> We then cut to Galvatron inspecting his amassed troops, which include the Stunticons and the Combaticons, before we cut to elsewhere, where the Decepticon Headmasters and Sixshot are speaking with Zarak. The conversation unfolds as follows. Zarak says, What? Exile me? Sixshot saying, I'm afraid so. There'd be nothing to do if that happened. Don't object. Cooperate with the plan. Zarak says, no, Galvatron can't exile me. I've always worked for the good of the Decepticons. Sixshot says, what'll happen if the Autobots get the Miracle Alloy? Zarak responds, what? Are you sure it can be produced? Sixshot says, there's no guarantee it can't be. Zarak responds, ha ha ha, I see. The idea is to act preemptively. And Sixshot then follows up with, If we can, we can seize the planet Cybertron and kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> so, admittedly, this is how we first find out, Andy, that Galvatron wants to exile Zarak. Like, this is like the first instance of it, which is why, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wait, did, did we just jump a scene? No, we really didn't. That's just literally when it happened. But it's also established now that Sixshot is also in bed, so to speak, with the plan of Zarak and the Decepticon Headmasters, which is slowly forming. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, it's, that's an even more kind of interesting twist in a way than, than obviously the Decepticon Headmasters being, you know, on board with them. But, uh, but yeah, this is definitely like perhaps the one bit of, of this episode that feels kind of, yeah, it feels rushed, really. Yep. It's like, it definitely feels like, you know, there was probably some deleted scene there where, like, Galvatron goes to Sixshot or whoever to be like, hey, like, we got to get rid of this guy because he's clearly, like, plotting something against me or informing people against me. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter too much because you can pick up and intuit, you know, that missing part quite easily. Um, but it, it is a little bit, it's kind of point A to point C with no point B in between. It even just needed one more line of dialogue. Just a simple, Zarak, you should know something. I think Galvatron is plotting to exile you. Yeah. Like, something as simple as that, and that one line would have just cleared that all up. Yeah, for sure. We then see Chrome Dome and Hardhead arrive at where the Decepticons were spotted by Twincast, but it's very quiet. Too quiet. That's because at that exact moment, we cut back to Cybertron, where the space bridge that goes to Shockwave's old old off- office, I was going to call it, but like lab is probably a better word to use. It transports a bunch of the Decepticons there, led by Galvatron, and he is accompanied by a boatload of Decepticons. A fight immediately breaks out, and the Decepticons are just mullering the Autobot guards, who are just heavily outgunned and outpowered. Elsewhere, Rodimus immediately gets his comrades to prepare for a departure to Athenia. 
uh, from Athenia, excuse me, and requests reinforcements from Magnus's team on Earth as well. This is when Fortress appears, and he confronts Rodimus in a polite way, not a bad way. And this is as Rodimus is walking towards whatever ship he's going to try and take off on. And Fortress says the following. Let me be frank. I want you to call off the sortie. Galvatron expects us to show up. There must be another way than putting more fighters in danger. Rodimus responds with, I respect your views, but I can't do that. Fortress says, I know the miracle alloy is important, but we don't know if it's possible. There must be another way of keeping it out of enemy hands. Rodimus says, There's something else more important? Planet Cybertron is our home planet. We can't just hand it over to the Decepticons. And then Rodimus walks away and Fortress is just left standing there, clearly having that look of, oh, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> we then cut to Earth where the reinforcements are getting ready to transport using a space bridge of their own, including Chrome Dome and Hardhead, who very quickly report to Fortress that they are now heading to Cybertron, basically forcing Fortress's hand at having to travel there on board Fortress Maximus with the remaining headmasters, and it turns out Rodimus, Cup, RC, and Blur as well. There is a lot going on here, Andy, but ultimately the end destination is Cybertron. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, we're all heading to Cybertron, which, as we have learned, is in grave danger. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... I mean, first up, when Fortress says, let me be frank, I thought Rodimus was going to reply and say, well, funny enough, that is your name in the English dub. Um, <laughs> but, um, but more importantly, the, the kind of thing that I really like about this, and I don't know how deliberate it is, how, is how basically the two headmaster leaders are both kind of in the same place in terms of having a different viewpoint in how this situation could be handled. They, like, they're weirdly aligned on their kind of goals and train of thought even though they are at complete opposite angles opposite ends of the spectrum and like that's just a really interesting little kind of sidebar to this episode where you have kind of fortress and zarak basically like not really buying into this plan and being like no this is a terrible idea this shouldn't happen and then being shot down by their respective leaders like it I, I don't even really know what to make of it particularly. It's just a, an interesting kind of symmetry between the two sides there. Yeah, there is there is a line much later in this story which I think actually sums it up very well. And in some ways it kind of almost signifies probably something we should have seen coming in various ways. But I do agree with you. It is very much sort of like the new sort of like the new recruits trying to like make a difference and voice a concern but there are old ways just being stuck to and such so yeah. it has definitely got that vibe to it yeah for, for sure and the, the other thing is have, have we skipped have we skipped past the bit where blur gets stuck in a chair or is this still is that is, or is that <laughs> still to come I, I was gonna mention this but i thought i'd save it for a specific moment so uh, so basically when they're all trying to like very quickly get ready for a ship RC and, and Cup just get up and, like, start running. And Blur, for no reason whatsoever, which I thought was going to be a massive plot point, Andy. I was thinking, oh, there's, like, I don't know, a, a laser beak is just randomly hiding under the chair or something as a magnet. <laughs> like, something as easy as that. No, Blur just literally got stuck in a chair and couldn't get up. 
I mean, is, 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 is this just trying to suggest that, like, Blur hadn't been going to the, the Autobot gym? <laughs> and he just, like, gotten a little bit, a little bit too, too, too few, too many pounds on him and just couldn't get out of the chair. It's or he done it or he had too much of a leg day and couldn't move his legs. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that could, that, that can also happen. But yeah, it's, it's the weird thing that, like, this, this series does that it does like a bit of, again, very anime it likes a bit of slapstick comedy but sometimes it puts it in the weirdest places and with like absolutely zero context to build up to it like you know if they'd somehow made that part of a running gag or some other thing it'd be like okay that's fine but yeah it's just blurs randomly get stuck in a chair and that's like a couple of scenes of this show and then he gets unstuck and that's it and it's like oh okay fine we move on yeah, it, it, it's quite a tonal shift when it happens, every yeah. time. Well, and especially in these kind of episodes, like, even at this point, like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of important stuff flying around. It's not really a good time for Blur to get his big backside stuck. <laughs> if we named these episodes based on things we said, these podcasts, that would be it. <laughs> Blur's, Blur's Big Backside, part one. <laughs> We cut to Cybertron, where there is lots of destruction happening. And specifically, we see the Decepticons closing in on Autobot HQ. Galvatron saying, <laughs> Of course you idiots are losing! I'm getting my revenge! Leading to, conveniently, lots of the Combiner Team Autobots arriving on site to fight their respective counterparts. Plus Chrome Dome and Hardhead facing off against the three Decepticon Headmasters. Fortress Maximus also arrives with Rodimus Cup, RC, and Blur as well. Those four respectively going down to Cybertron's surface. But Fortress remains on board along with his headmaster comrades because he's trying to just gauge where things are at right now because there's a heck of a lot going on and someone really needs to know what the heck is, is happening on the planet. Eventually, Fortress Maximus comes across Chrome Dome and Hardhead struggling against the three Decepticon Headmasters. So Brainstorm and Highbrow go and help them, while Fortress Maximus once again, uh, sorry, when Fortress remains inside Maximus with this going on. I will say there was a, a fun line of dialogue. I don't think I've noted it specifically in my notes, but there was part of me that actually thought when it was just the two headmasters against the three Decepticon headmasters, oh, for once the actual Decepticon headmasters have, you know, got an advantage. You know, it's not four against three. They might be able to win. And then there's literally some lines of dialogue of them basically going, ah, I see you're taking on our friends three on two. That's not fair. Let's even up the odds four three. <laughs> it's just kind of like a, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I can't, can't, can't break the uh, can't break the tradition, I guess. <laughs> so I mentioned the combiners. We see them fighting each other, specifically Bruticus and Defensor. Nice to see them get a shout out here. Going to fight each other, as well as Superion, just fighting the five Stunticons. Just <laughs> they don't even try and do anything else. It's just five on one in that instance. But then we get a stare down between Rodimus and Galvatron. So you finally come, Rodimus, says Galvatron. Rodimus responds with, Today's the day. I'll fight you so hard you'll never fight again. Galvatron responds, <laughs> Don't talk nonsense. Planet Cybertron is mine. Then a scuffle between the two begins, which rapidly ends, it's got to be said, because Galvatron just manages to throw Rodimus into a wall, shoots the building down, and then Rodimus is just trapped under a bunch of rubble. And it's me thinking, oh, okay. 
I was expecting a bit more to this, but sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's. I, I know. I mean, it's it, it feels like the kind of thing that should be yeah, like a, a bigger fight than it than it is. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it, it turns out to be kind of one sided in the end. We then see Galvatron is about to deal the final blow. Blur, Cup, and RC are standing nearby, not helping, but want to help. Good job, guys. And then, all of a sudden, Sound Blaster appears and tells Galvatron he has some important news to share, but he doesn't want any Autobots to hear. And Galvatron's reaction is basically, Now? Really? At this moment? Right now? <laughs> and then they end up going around a corner, and that's when RC, Cup, and Blur help their commander. The news in question is that the equation for the miracle alloy Cybertoneuron has been completed and that Vector, Sig Vector Sigma excuse me, will begin production at any moment. On Fortress Maximus, I'm going to have to figure out a better way of trying to say this, Andy, but on Maximus, Fortress is musing to himself that he doesn't want to continue fighting if they can, if they can help it. They must get Rodimus they just must get Rodimus off of Cybertron somehow. We then cut to elsewhere as the episode gradually begins to conclude. Where Zarak and his shadowy appearance says to himself, If it's completed, we can't afford to make the slightest mistake. We must completely annihilate the Autobots. What if the Decepticons lose and the Autobots get the alloy? He then himself has visions of Galvatron blowing up Fortress Maximus. We, the viewer, see that. Zarak continues, Whatever happens, the alloy mustn't fall into the Autobot hands. There's only one option left. The total destruction of Vector Sigma and Planet Cybertron. I'm actually also legit getting goosebumps as I'm reading that. I'm not even joking. He then commences... Sorry, he then starts to communicate telepathically with the Decepticon headmasters to come to his location, and they quickly back out of their fight with the Autobot headmasters and run away to meet him. Interested to learn how they can crush the Autobots in one go, Zarak reveals to the headmasters, quote, I've prepared a special explosive device. When these three units are combined, and we see sort of three bombs, if you will, in front of him, the effects are irreversible. They will blow up planet Cybertron, end quote. It's got to be said that the Decepticon headmasters are pretty weary and concerned about this prospect and what all of this means, but Zarak assures them he'll arrange for the evacuation of all Decepticons, including them. But it doesn't change the fact that they are concerned and are clearly conflicted about the plan as the episode comes to an end and we effectively get a to-be-continued message. This is quite a cliffhanger, Andy, for the episode. Like, holy crap. Yeah, and it's... I think it, I think it speaks to how well this kind of gets built up. The, I mean, it became a running joke, especially as we got into sort of like Galvatron-era Transformers, that, yeah, he always just wants to blow up Cybertron and... He never really has a particularly good plan to do it, and it always all feels a little bit half-baked. And again, it's that typical cartoon, like, well, I know how this ends, like, you know, Cybertron ain't going to get blown up. That would be crazy. Um, but even at this point, like, there is a feeling of like, oh, this is actually a kind of concerning plan. Like, this seems like this could actually work. 
Um, and so, yeah, there, there's definitely like a a high stakes feeling by the time you reach that cliffhanger and there's not a very obvious like, ah, no, this will be fine in the end. This will all work itself out. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this first episode overall. I thought it, it was really nice. To, I appreciate the way the storytelling has worked out. It, you know, some of it hasn't been rushed a lot. And there was that one element we did talk about that did feel rushed. But you could you definitely got the feeling this was a two-parter story. Because they got time to really flush out the story. Raise the tension a little bit like we've discussed between various people. And it is just building. And that, the way that cliffhanger came about. And honestly, like I just told you when I got Goosebumps reading it out loud. When he said the complete destruction of Vector Sigma and Planet Cybertron. It's just that thing of, oh no. <laughs> like you, yeah. you actually mean this, Zarak. I, I only know your shadow, but I can tell you mean this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and again, I think it's because he's sort of been built up smartly as a character because he's in the shadows and, you know, e even his manner of speech, you know, he's a bit more eloquent and a bit less mad than Galvatron. And so there is something a bit more chilling about about it than when it's just, you know, Galvatron's usual rage of just like, I'm just going to blow up everything. Um, you know, it's a far more calculated affair um and uh and yeah it's it, it is a good cliffhanger um no no denying it so i guess from there andy do we want to delve into the tf wiki notes for episode nine now or do we want to do it all together at the end of the story yeah let's let's have a look now and see if there's anything interesting okay then Transformers references. Cyberton Neuron is noted as being many times stronger than Cybertonium, says the TF Wiki, which is where I'm reading these notes from. The element introduced in Desertion of the Dinobots, the season two episodes that I referenced earlier. This is stated, however, with the implication that Cybertonium is unusually strong itself, something that is no in no way indicated in its debut episode. That is a fair point, actually, in that it's never actually established exactly how powerful Cybertonium is in the Season 2 storyline, Desertion of the Dinobots, but here they do actually make mention of it. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, definitely a little, little bit of retconning to, to make it make it fit the narrative, I guess. Uh, trivia notes. Trax makes a rare and very brief appearance just before the Headmasters mix it up on Cybertron. I didn't even notice, so yes, yeah, a very at all. brief appearance, clearly. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we mentioned this in our last podcast, but this episode originally aired in a double bill time slot with the previous episode, Terror the Six Shadows. Yeah, I guess that's a solid way of doing it. Get get people watching the next uh, the next one. There's also a specific date noted here. That was on September the 4th, 1987. <laughs> exactly why Six Shot told Scorponok that Galvatron planned to banish him after getting the Cyberton Neuron is a mystery. Despite getting useful info, Zarak wasn't grateful to wasn't grateful to Six Shot in later episodes. Ooh, okay. That's a little tease there. Hmm. The headmasters are shown to be training on exercise equipment. Despite the fact they are robots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, what do we have here? Since they currently control the planet, the Autobots really should have shut down the space bridge receiver in the old Decepticon headquarters. Oh, so that's actually, they did actually go to, to uh, Shockwave's office, like I, like I mentioned. So yeah, it's a fair point. Rather than letting them just wander onto the planet undetected, in brackets, despite it having been previously established of a planet-wide security grid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I, 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 did, I did wonder what the deal was with the space bridge. I'm just assuming, like, 
nobody knew where the off switch was, where like the isolation switch was for the space bridge. And it's like, well, I've just got to leave it on, I guess. It was like in that episode way back in earlier. It may have even been a season one episode when like a few of the humans and a couple of Autobots went to Wheeljack's lab. Mm-hmm. It was with Chip Chase. And they just like found Wheeljack's lab. Like totally fine. It's there. Hadn't yeah. been destroyed or anything. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a good episode though. Uh, it's added if they didn't if they didn't go to Cybertron prior to the first episode of Headmasters, four warriors come out of the sky. They certainly should have done after. Man, RC Blur and Cup really just stand around and do nothing, don't they? <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, it's it 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 does feel like those those are characters where like the scriptwriters for this season just don't really know what to do with them. I mean, even in like you know post movie for the US continuity it, it often felt like they were trying to have to like jam those characters into scenarios to make them do anything much with maybe the exception of cup who was kind of like relatively easy to write in but yeah like in this season they are just there to offer not particularly useful dialogue and that's pretty much it yeah it's it's weird because with the introduction of the headmasters and other characters, you even referenced it earlier that if we were in the rebirth continuity, the US side, they actually finally found more of a use for RC being a headmaster. But in this, RC is just there. And as we'll get on to on part two, it's abundantly clear what her role is going to be going forward in the story, which in some ways is a bit of a shame, quite frankly, because I think there's a lot more they could do with the character. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, again, it's it's also kind of weird because I I can never remember the exact timeline, but like in the 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 toy line, like you know, um, Cup and Blur both become Target Masters, so they're like you know, I, I can't I can't remember whether that was in the Rebirth or not, like whether they had because they had the Target Masters, I can't remember whether they were specifically, um, but again, yeah, like at, at least they had like another evolution that they could do some stuff with, whereas here, yeah, they're just. Just there getting stuck in chairs. <laughs> <laughs> One of our favourite parts now, Andy. Foreign localization. So, the Omni Productions English dub name of, the, of this episode, and obviously the next episode, is Crisis on Cybertron, Part 1. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that fits. In the Omni Productions dialogue script for this episode, Rumble is identified as Inca and Soundblaster as Puda, which was which was Bulada in the previous episode. <laughs> that, that's the that's the real kicker that they can't even keep it consistent. <laughs> Razorclaw is identified as Sogo. Twincast is referred to as Kista in narration, while Blur is referred to as Bill or Billy. Onslaught is identified as Dao, or Doe, however you meant to pronounce that. And he refers to the Combaticons as the as the Dolong Regiment. Okay, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that must have meant something in, like, the Singaporean studio that did that. So, now, quick point of reference here, because I'm going to read this verbatim from the TF Wiki, but in the Japanese continuity, as we talked about before... Zarak is named Scorponok, and then it's reversed seemingly later on. So for the purposes of this, I'm going to read this verbatim, but I'm talking about Zarak. Scorponok was originally identified as Locke, L-O-C-K-E. However, this was crossed out and replaced by Scorponok. 
this correction will only be made more baffling by later scripts that alternately refer to him as Sogi and Chandler. In an incredible bizarre mix-up, the six-shot Scorponok conversation is written out uh, with six-shot identified as Lock, L-O-K, it's the script shorthand form of Lock, L-O-C-K-E, and Scorponok is referred to as Jart. <laughs> and sadly, the generic guards are only identified as A and B. Nah, well, I mean, <laughs> at, least, at least they couldn't mess those up, I suppose. <laughs> in the in the Shout Factory subtitled version, Planet Cybertron is in grave danger, is what the episode is referred to as. The Predacons are outright ordered to attack the Autobot guards on Cybertron in the original, and they do. The subtitles present it more as a stealth mission. Oh, okay, because that was mirrored then in the subtitles that we got from the Metrodome DVDs. So that's interesting. Mm, yeah. The attacked Autobot guard strangely orders the other guard to tell Rodimus Prime. This is an artifact from the original translation, simply being the commander. There you go. So a couple of other foreign localization bits. We've got Cybertron is in danger from the Italian side. We've got Crisis on on the Crisis on the Planet Cybertron from Spanish. Oh, sorry, specifically Andy, Crisis on the Planet Cybertron first part. And then Mandarin, Cybertron Under the Shadow of Crisis, Part 1. Okay, that's... I, I, I kind of I like that. I know, it's good, isn't it? Cybertron Under the Shadow of Crisis. And that is probably all the notes for this particular episode, I think. So, uh, any other additional notes that you made, Andy? Or, or anything else to note in general about this episode, now that we've talked about a few bits and bobs? No, no, I think, uh, like you say, it's a, a strong strong part one. So, um, yeah, there, there are things to discuss in part two, that's for sure. Indeed, and that is, we will now, that is now where, excuse me, we will advance to right now, as we move on to episode 10. Cybertron is in grave danger, part two. No episode recap or anything, but picking up right where we left off from part one, we are underground and the narrator says, quote unquote, Mindwipe carries the explosive device assisted by Weird Wolf and Skullcruncher, end quote. Now, I've added a note here that the bombs have been placed in a backpack of sorts on Mindwipe. Despite his earlier reservations, he, is now, he has now seemingly calmed down a little bit and is up for the challenge that Zarak has set him. His comrades also trust his discretion in the matter. Zarak then chimes in with, quote-unquote, To avoid panic, the secret must be kept until the bomb is set. I pray for success. Which now, Andy, that's a whole other thing. Transformers pray? like Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, a, a, again, you get into the comic continuity and you have, you know, Primus, etc., etc. There is Good like point. a quasi-religious side to it that is never really explored in the cartoon. But uh, anyway. Elsewhere, confused at their sudden departure from the fight they were in earlier, the Autobot headmasters are wondering what the heck is up and they decide to each split up to go look for them. Now, elsewhere in sort of various locations, but to try and sum it up, first of all, we see the train bots arrive on Cybertron to confront some of the Predacons, and the Predacons are confused at why the train bots have confronted them, because the Predacons feel that they're superior to them, and then they are totally caught off guard when one of the train bots just punches one of the Predacons right in the face. <laughs> 
We also see that Bruticus and Defensor are still going at it. Defensor getting the upper hand in this instance, much to Galvatron's annoyance. Now, I mentioned Galvatron because we see him sort of standing on a high platform with Sound Blaster next to him. And he tells Sound Blaster to call for reinforcements. And Sound Blaster effectively goes, are, are you sure? Because, you know, Rodimus will call some of his own. This is when Zarak peers from behind a corner, quite literally, still as a shadow as well, much to Galvatron's annoyance. And this is how the conversation unfolds. Galvatron, face the facts and change the strategy before he's cut off by Galvatron, saying, Fool! Don't meddle at such a moment! Zarak says, I understand. And then just slowly disappears around a corner <laughs> from view. We then cut to Rodimus, looking on a map inside an HQ as to how just far out all the battles are being spread, and musing to himself that this isn't going to help them win, that they need to concentrate their forces, especially now that the Cyberton Neuron formula is finished. Rodimus saying specifically, even if we lose our lives, we won't let the Decepticons get it. Which is another interesting point, Andy, now, because that's both leaders essentially saying, no, no matter what it freaking takes, we're going to make sure the other side doesn't get it. Yeah, which, I mean, makes sense, given, you know, how this thing has been set up as this kind of miracle alloy. It's like, it's it's a slightly weird thing about kind of Fortress's take on things, where it's just like, no, this is kind of a big deal. Like, you can't just be like, ah, whatever. Um, so, so yeah, like, I, I, I and again, it's... As, as tired as it maybe is to be like, ah, it's a new alloy, like, it's it's a good, compelling, everybody has to fight to the bitter end about this kind of plot point, because that you can't really let any one side get away with having this, because it gives them such a massive advantage. Outside, we cut to Chrome Dome, continuing his individual search for the Decepticon Headmaster's whereabouts. He then randomly catches sight of Mindwipe and Weirdwolf, now, himself noting that Skullcruncher is not with them, what's up with that? But, crucially, the Decepticons don't notice him. He then spots the backpack, the backpack excuse me, on Mindwipe. Realising something is up, he proceeds to follow them in secret. We come to find out that the reason that Skullcruncher wasn't with them is that they had gone on ahead to open up an entranceway for Mindwipe to make the journey deep inside Cybertron towards Vector Sigma. Weirdwolf saying, I'm counting on you, Mindwipe. The countdown is 30 minutes. Okay? Mindwipe responds, <laughs> Okay. Keep watch so that the Autobots don't find out. But hiding around a corner a short distance away, Chrome Dome has noticed what they've said and is very concerned about what he is seeing. Mindwipe has now disappeared inside the, the structure, if you will, that Skullcruncher was in. The narrator then comes in and says, No wonder Chrome Dome is surprised. Mindwipe has entered the very heart of planet Cybertron. It's a passage that connects to Vector Sigma. We see Chrome Dome trying to figure out what, what they could be doing when he's nearly spotted by the Decepticons outside the entrance. This prompts him to then beginning this prompts him to then begin communicating, excuse me, with his comrades via a new method we have not seen before. The narrator notes, quote-unquote, Chrome Dome tries the mental communication technique. It was developed in the harsh conditions on Planet Master, a telepathic technique known only to them, end quote. 
Now, the way that this unfolds for us, the viewer, is that his eyes start glowing, and also his Autobot emblem on his chest also glows as well, which is a nice little touch, and he manages to get through to his colleagues to summon them to his location. We also then find out later on, well, a short time later, I should say, that Fortress specifically responded to him by saying that the Miracle Alloy has now been created. We then see the other headmasters arrive a short time later, and through dialogue, we come to learn that 10 minutes has passed since Mindwipe went inside. A fight begins, and Chrome Dome then manages to proceed inside while his comrades continue to battle outside. Fortress then arrives and is informed that the Decepticons are planning to do something to Vector Sigma. The, uh, the Fortress equivalent of the uh, internal red alert bulb goes off, as it were, because now he's really worried and is just like, what the heck are they going to do? Up to this point, Andy, I'm liking how this is building. There's a sort of a lot of info that I've said there, but I like the fact that we got to just see them going around Cybertron a little bit, that there was that mystery and intrigue of getting to follow them. And this all plays into the fact that this is over a two-part story, so they can actually flesh out these details a little bit. Yeah, I mean, again, especially we're now at the point where, you know, there's literally a countdown going on. And, like, that's that was sometimes the problem, you know, when you had, like, single episodes of, you know, prior seasons where it tries to do a similar thing. But you've got to rush it all into, like, five minutes and it kind of takes some of the edge off of the tension. Whereas when you've got a full episode of, like, oh, by the way, there's a bomb counting down... Um, you know, it sort of it, it adds a little bit extra to a little bit of extra spice to everything else going on. Um, so yeah, it's kind of nice that it gets to, especially having sort of spread things out across multiple different sort of battles and groups that it has time to check in with all of them. Because again, we've had episodes before where you have this and then some of the characters just disappear because it doesn't have time to kind of deal with all of the stuff going on. Um, so yeah, it's pretty good that it gets to do that. Not, not a huge fan of the whole like. Oh, by the way, we can also do telepathy plot point. Um, <laughs> that feels very much like a a, a, a a little work of convenience of like, oh man, we put all these characters in different locations and now we need them to talk to each other. Uh, telepathy. There you go. Problem solved. Um, but uh, you know, uh, yeah, sure. The harsh conditions of Planet Master. Not not the harsh <laughs> conditions of the writers' room for this episode. I'm sure. <laughs> I do wonder if that is going to come into play later on and in what capacity, because we haven't seen it up to this point, and it's like, what's its range? One would assume they could only do it maybe like if they're on the same planet, for instance. Mm, yeah, well, I mean, that's the beauty of it from a writing point of view, is like, it can be whatever the heck you want it to be. They can be at other edges of the universe, and if you need them to talk to each other, it'd be like, aha, telepathy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's sort of in, in the same vein as stuff like, you know, Jedi mind tricks of like, well, this character would never do this, but aha, if we do this, then they'll do whatever we want them to. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I, it will be interesting to see how often this is deployed again through the rest of the series. I'm sure it will... It will turn up again at least once, um, but uh, you know, it just—I don't know—it it doesn't feel very Transformersy to me. So I guess that's why I'm being a stickler about it. <laughs> On we go with the story. Now I should know, Andy, that as we know from past seasons of Transformers, when they've tried to go into the bowels of Cybertron, the heart of Cybertron, if you will, it's not an easy journey. It's full of twists and turns and never-ending tunnels and randomly creatures that you don't expect, for example. Especially if you don't know where you're going. 
As we then see, Mindwipe is still running through the bowels of Cybertron, wondering where the heck Vector Sigma is, and is being caught off guard by like a form of gas that's emanating around him, before, ironically, he is attacked by bats, and proceeds to then run off saying, I hate bats! <laughs> I mean, to be fair, have, have, having slagged off some of the slapstick in this series, that's actually pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, it's very on the nose, but I kind of like it. I mean, again... I'm I'm not sure whether it makes sense there being bats on Cybertron and all of that, but you know what, it it was worth it. I mean, what did um, Optimus Prime get attacked by during the season three two part of finale? I mean, a lot of things. I feel like didn't but... he get attacked by like energy rats or something? Yes, yeah, there was those weird energy rats. Yeah, those mm. were kind of gross. So yeah, sure, why not? Why not? Why not Cybertron bats as well? Like there you go, Cybertron cockroaches probably all going on down there. <laughs> We then follow Chrome Dome's path to, to find Mindwipe, and it's not going too well. He sort of comes into a room where there is a very clearly not looking very stable bridge, if you will. He proceeds to step on it, he falls through it, and eventually just falls down, plummeting a long way down a dark hole, if you will. He ends up coming to in a very narrow path where he is surrounded by like a leaking pipe of liquid and he's got gas around him. And it turns out, Andy, that the liquid, per his own words, is sulfuric acid. So that's a thing that exists on Cybertron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some, I mean, it, it, it's no longer an issue, but somebody really needs to do some repairs around here. His comrades, meanwhile, are being confronted by automatic defences on the way to the heart of Cybertron elsewhere. Back on the surface level, the battle is continuing, and now we see that Rodimus and co, and randomly Daniel and Wheelie somehow, not going to question it, but they're there. Sorry, they everybody. They probably stayed away in a shuttle somewhere. <laughs> like that, that, that part I can believe. So, Rodimus and co have seemingly figured out that Vector Sigma specifically is the location for where the alloy is being produced. We don't know how they came to that conclusion, but they figured it out. When Daniel asks what will happen when the alloy is extracted, Wheelie responds by simply going, don't be stupid, we'll get more strong allies. Thanks, Wheelie. Thanks for your input. Rodimus then also pledges that the Autobots will use the alloy to protect the piece of not just the Autobots, but the entire universe. But that can't happen unless they stop the attack. We then go back to Mindwipe, who is still being attacked by bats and ultimately falls down a set of stairs towards a giant door. He thinks he's at a dead end, but is able to open the door. And in front of him is Vector Sigma. He begins setting the bombs, but is promptly confronted by Chrome Dome. Mindwipe tells him, that the device can't be stopped once it's activated, revealing the entire plan to his enemy. Now, typically, Andy, when that happens, it's like, well, you fool, you said what you're doing now. We know what direction this is going to go in. Not exactly, everyone. Not exactly. With all three bombs now set, Chrome Dome is unable to remove them. Mindwipe leaves, telling him in the process, don't waste your time. Get out within 30 minutes or you'll die. So long. The other Autobot headmasters arrive at the same location to the news that a bomb has been set. With weird, and also should be said that Weird Wolf and Skullcruncher have been tailing them. And they arrive and they're like, where's Mindwipe? And Chrome Dome or someone effectively goes, 
oh, he took off and ran because the bombs have been set. And they suddenly kind of go, what? And just start running away as quickly as they can, falling over each other, realizing what that's going to mean. Kind of also, Andy, adding into the, to the, to that sort of panic of, oh, this is genuinely a big bad thing. Like, how are they going to resolve this? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's sort of like I was alluding to at the, the, the start of this podcast, like... How many times have you seen the cartoon with the uh, or live action movie or whatever where it's like, ha, we've set the bomb. Um, you know, nothing can stop us now. And how many times have they been like, there's no way to disarm this bomb. And then the bomb always gets disarmed with like one second left on the clock. So you're just like, oh, yes, OK, you're we've seen this before. We know how this ends. The bomb gets stopped, blah, blah, blah. But even at this point, it's like, no, this isn't. This isn't the usual, like, there's somebody kind of calm here to be like, no, we can we can fix this. This is what we need to do. Everyone is, like, literally in a mass panic. And it's like, oh, I'm sure Rodimus will come along and disarm the bomb or something like that will happen. Or Daniel will trip over his shoelaces and somehow accidentally disarm the bomb. Or, like, I don't know, shove wheelie into it and, you know, that'll absorb the explosion. I don't know. They'll fix it somehow. I'm sure it'll be fine. We see that there are 20 minutes left on the clock, and each headmaster is doing all they can to try and detach the bomb from the surface it's attached to, but it simply will not give, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Chrome Dome saying, You guys go, I'll stay until the end. Highbrow retorting with, Chrome Dome, we're not afraid of dying, but think of the commander and the citizens above ground. It takes time to inform and, ev and evacuate them. Chrome Dome takes a moment and just says, that's very true. And then the Autobot Headmasters leave Vector Sigma. The bombs are still ticking down and they leave. Back on the surface, amid laser beams just shooting across the landscape, the narrator then says, quote unquote, on the surface, they continue to fight oblivious to the danger of the explosion. We see Soundblaster then inform Galvatron that the reinforcements won't arrive in time, which Galvatron is not happy about, before the shadowy Zarak appears once again and says, Lord Galvatron, we don't have time. We must evacuate at once. Galvatron responds with, You again? Get lost! <laughs> 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 oh, that's a very good response. Like, I, I, I feel like also I feel like Zarek in this episode particularly is just like it's just like the person that always slides into your Twitter mentions to be like, well, actually, it's just like, oh, you again? Go away! I'm trying to I think I think you'll find. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Thank God they didn't have Twitter in Lord Zarek's time. <laughs> so yeah, he says, "You again? Get lost! I don't want to listen to you." To which Zarek then says, "You have to listen." The planet will explode in 15 minutes. Galvatron just says, Explode in 15 minutes? <laughs> Don't talk such nonsense. Zarak then just deadpan responds with, It's true. I planted a time bomb in Vector Sigma. Galvatron takes a little moment and just goes, What? In Vector Sigma? Are you serious? Zarak says, We'll be at a disadvantage if the ally falls into enemy hands. It had to be done to ensure Decepticon victory. Galvatron's response at this point is, Fool! Who, who allowed you to do this? I'll stop this. And he starts to run away. 
and Soundblaster then tries to stop him and just says, wait, Galvatron. But then Galvatron, clearly irate, just stops running for a second and just goes, shut up. Your job is to gather intelligence. What have you done? And then continues running away. And then Soundblaster to himself just says, you never learn, Galvatron. I mean... First of all, a little bit harsh on Sound Blaster because he found out about the alloy in the first place. So I take exception to that, Galvatron. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is this is a bit of a marital spat, isn't it? We've we've gone from hand holding to to you know public arguments. It's it's sad sad to see. Um, but I do also like how it, it feels like Zarek is, is also like taking the role of person who has watched this show before because he's like, no, Galvatron, <laughs> I, I get what your plan is, but you're going to mess it up. You're not going to get the alloy. This is going to go real badly. So I'm going to just make sure that doesn't happen because, um, you know, look, you're just going to retreat at the end. So let's just let's just try and hedge our bets. And so at this point in the episode, as things stand, the Autobot Headmasters are returning to the surface, having not been able to disarm the bombs, and now Galvatron is running to the heart of Cybertron to try and save Cybertron. This is quite the turn, folks, but this is where we're at. Yeah, which is, again, is like, it's a really enjoyable... I mean, it's, it's almost like the thing that this episode does all the way through like i said right right at the top you've got like the autobots are making like the new technology that the decepticons are trying to steal slash stop which is usually flipped around the other way more often than not and then yeah you have the end of the episode where it's the autobots retreating and it's galvatron being like i have to save this situation also uh, the, the more i think about it do, do you think that Blur getting stuck in the chair was like the, the the preamble to just like the Autobots are really bad at like pulling things that are stuck to things because that's all they try to do with the time <laughs> bomb is like can we just unstick it like is that is that the kind of like deep symmetry of this episode that it's just like no just just as the Autobots couldn't unstick Blur's backside from the chair so they will also not be able to unstick the time bomb from Vector Sigma. If Blur being stuck in the chair was somehow meant to be the foreshadowing for where we got to in the story, that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it could only be better if Cup was like, well, it's a good job you're not a bomb, while he's just trying to like, yank her <laughs> out of the chair. Or it's a good job there's not a time limit. Yeah. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, we then cut to an Autobot base on Cybertron, where Chrome Dome has now informed Chrome Dome, excuse me, has now informed Fortress of the situation, and in turn, Rodimus is now aware. Emotions are running high that their home is about to be destroyed. Wheelie specifically is just banging his fist down on a computer console. RC is crying in the chest of Rodimus, and Daniel just simply will not accept it. He starts running towards Fortress, who picks him up in both hands. I thought he was going to crush him for a second, but he didn't. See, I, I thought he was going to do the funny face thing again. Like, <laughs> like, it's all right. Look at my face. And Fortress, very just matter-of-factly, just tells him, I don't like it either, Daniel. But it's a fact. Rodimus understands they must evacuate. Elsewhere, we see now that, that the Decepticon headmasters have reunited, continuing their escape. And they say, we'll, we'll figure out why we were left down there on our own later. But then we see that Galvatron is running underground towards Vector Sigma, and there are five minutes left on the clock. 
He is also saying to himself in the process, this planet is mine. I won't let anybody blow it up. Like <laughs> please, please, Galvatron, please refer to like all of the previous episodes where you tried to blow up Cybertron. But I digress. <laughs> Back on the surface, time is now nearly up. Rodimus takes one last look at the surface of Cybertron before boarding the train bots as the Autobots begin to evacuate. Fast forward once again, there's now less than 10 seconds to go, and unaware of the timer, Galvatron arrives at Vector Sigma, and at that moment, the screen goes white as the bomb detonates. We see many flashes of light, crackles of lightning all around the planet of Cybertron, and then an almighty explosion, with debris just flying everywhere through space and whatnot. We can't see anything. And as the dust settles, so to speak, all we see left is maybe at best Andy, a, a third, maybe a quarter of Cybertron left. And it's just floating there with so much debris around it. It's it's mental what we've just seen. Mm. Yeah, and that, that shot in particular, like I, I kind of... I, it, it took me a moment to be like, why, why does this feel so like impactful? And then you think back across the entire cartoon continuity, how many episodes start with an establishing shot of Cybertron? Mm-hmm. Like, How many episodes end with an establishing shot of Cybertron? And you always see it in basically the same state. Like We have the odd kind of flashback to its golden age where it looks a bit fancier. Um, but, you know, you know what Cybertron looks like and suddenly to have this obliterated version of it is actually like you know this kind of goes back to the whole like this is more impactful in a a lot of ways even than the movie because it's not just like oh some some these characters died it's like this entire planet that has been kind of the centerpiece of this entire series you literally just blew it up um and you followed through on it and it's yeah it's it's an incredibly big deal It's now just, well, what's left of it is just a barren planet. Rodimus and co. go down to the surface, what's left of it. Rodimus exits the train bots, just jumps down to the surface, and then just says to himself, Fortress was right after all. Implying he basically didn't trust what, what Fortress was saying or just didn't believe him. Daniel... Not wearing a spacesuit, mind you, but we we'll, won't touch on that until one other time. It then appears behind him, along with the other Autobots, and just says to Rodimus, let's go home to Athenia. And my first thought was, bad choice of words, Daniel. Yeah, I like, I, 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 legit thought that was going to be a thing where he was just going to be like, let's go home. And it's like, Daniel, this was my home, goddammit, shut up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, good, good stuff. And then Rodimus responds with, thanks, but I have a journey I must make. And at this point, I just responded with, what? (laughs) I really need a McDonald's right now. (laughs) In fact, Daniel responds with, a journey? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually a very good question. Like Maybe not the time, but... (laughs) Rodimus goes on to say... The age of the old Transformers has passed. This is an age for the young. I'm going on a journey to find a planet without war for the Transformers to settle on. 
Fortress responds with, but the commander's mission, he's implying Rodimus being commander, is to lead us. Rodimus just says, I'll leave somebody in charge. Fortress's response was, in charge? Rodimus then just looks at Fortress and just says, you're the new commander as of today. Well, Fortress, and he sticks his hand out to shake it, which Fortress does. Rodimus adds, I'm counting on you. Fortress says to himself, with admittedly quite a worried look on his face, it's your destiny. There's no point in resisting, referring to himself. Rodimus then just says, take good care of them until we meet again. Suddenly, Cup interrupts and just says that he'll go with him. And then Blur says the same. And then RC says, I'll come too. And then Rodimus just sticks his hand out and just says, wait, RC, stay behind. <laughs> RC just goes, ah, why? <laughs> Rodimus then said, <laughs> Rodimus then says, excuse me, what would Wheelie and Daniel do without you? There are enough of us on this journey. Arcee just goes, Commander! Which, I'm imagining that was her going, No, you cannot leave me with those two. Do not do this. <laughs> and then Wheelie and Daniel just both shout together, Rodimus! And then Rodimus then says, Take care, Daniel. We'll meet, we'll meet again. Goodbye then. And then just immediately runs off and flies into the sky. And Daniel then cries out to Rodimus as we see the three Transformers fly away. And the episode concludes with the narrator saying, quote-unquote, Heavy losses were sustained in the battle for the Miracle Alloy. Planet Cybertron has disappeared from the universe. But the dawning of a new age is approaching step by step. A lot happened here, Andy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even post, like, Cybertron blowing up, it's like, so I thought, well, okay, that's a big deal. I, I, give me some time to cope with this. And then suddenly it's like, Rodimus is just like, yeah, I've got to go on some vision quest or whatever I'm doing. And then it's like, yeah, I'm going to put someone else in charge. Like, oh, please don't let it be Wheelie. Um, which, <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, he didn't do that. It's like, Cosmos, you're in charge. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, and then, yeah, like that whole thing. And so, yeah, we've got multiple storylines going on. I mean, again, talking about this series having through lines, like this is not a reset to default, come back next week. This is a you know entirely different show almost like this almost feels like it should be a season finale and come back for season two where you know i don't know rodimus is gonna you know go and find himself in the himalayas or whatever you know is, is gonna happen next yeah it's i mean one assumes that down the line in this series before it ends we're probably gonna see rodimus and co again uh, heck if we actually know or not because we don't actually know maybe the tf wiki might allude to it in a few moments when we go through the notes but currently just trying to think of the roster in terms of who's left from g1 it's basically some of the combiner teams and rc at this point right yeah pretty as, as in og g1 in essence like i'm thinking around movie time and, and prior yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, on, on a technicality now, Blaster isn't Blaster, like, I guess mm. he doesn't count. Um, I mean, I guess his cassettes 
count. <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty thin down roster. This is also weird, like Ronimus being like, oh, this is like an era for the young. It's like you were the young kid, like not yep. that long ago. I mean, sure you kind of weirdly aged up when you jammed the matrix in your chest, but I mean you're not old. You're you're not cup. Mm. I mean that's another thing as well, is that one assumes that he's I mean, this is just me trying to clutch at straws to figure this out now, not knowing what's going to happen next. But is he just going to go and try and refill the Matrix by doing, like, little good deeds here and there? <laughs> we just get help old ladies cross the street <laughs> yeah. with their shopping. <laughs> just be like, there's a little bit of Matrix juice from that. Is um, he going to get drunk on Energon like the, Dece- the Decepticons did one time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? The, the possibilities are endless. And, of course, in the midst of all this, like, Galvatron, what's going on with that? <laughs> Yeah, we are to assume Galvatron's dead. Yeah, which, I mean, unlikely, it seems, but, like, how are you going to write that <laughs> right around that? I mean, it's, yeah, and, like, and, and again, you know, what does this do to the Galvatron-Zarak relationship? Um, is is Galvatron going to get back together with Sandblaster after their, their little spat? Like, you know, there are there are lots of lots of plot lines and through lines. Again, the Decepticon Headmasters and Zarak, because he kind of like yeah. left them to their own devices, um, by which I mean their death, um, potentially, if they hadn't <laughs> escaped. So like there's, I, I mean, there are literally like about 10 different plot lines that have been set up out of the back of this episode. And I can't think of any, even in two-parters, I can't think of... An, that many moving parts in a Transformers story that we've watched thus far on this podcast. Mm. It is fascinating, it really is. But but either way though, Andy, it was it was it's it's insane what's actually happened come the end of the story at this point and us not knowing what's coming next. But it was a great two parter, it's gotta be said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, way over and above, you know, I, I think it handles getting rid of optimus prime again pretty well like as a good kind of story beat that actually you know had emotional impact but like yeah this kind of tops that in in quite an impressive way and again like just it, it the the ability and the kind of the guts to kind of circumvent the typical like oh yeah yeah they've set a time bomb plot line and actually follow through on it and be like nope and then the it worked. We blew up the thing. Like I, I literally can't think of a story, certainly like of this kind of ilk, where that actually happens. Because it's always the bomb stops on like one with one second left, and the day is saved. I can't think of, or, or uh, at worst, like the bomb gets detached and it blows up something, but not what it was meant to blow up, and it's something smaller. Uh, like, but no, they just blew up a planet the planet around which the entire show is based um and just like that and it's like okay this series means business i guess so let's go to the tf wiki and see what maybe can be uh, uh, elaborated on here uh first of all which is a random one a, a quote andy from the uh, omni productions dub which was a uh, they say galvatron breaks out one of the more obscure insults for his men he says, "Ah, you bunch of moon calves." There's got to be something lost in translation there, I assume. Like, Quite possibly. Um, I'll, try, I'll try and remember that. For what is a reference. moon calf? Um, a moon calf is a monstrous, is a monstrous birth, the abortive fetus of a cow or other farm animal. Oh, okay. Well, 
charming Galvatron. I mean, I, I'll be honest, if I'd have actually read that beforehand, I might not have read that out loud, but hey-ho. So, there you <laughs> go, everyone. Sorry. We've, yeah, we've learned something today. So. Something we perhaps didn't want to know. Um, <laughs> continuity notes. Previously hinted at in the Birth of the Fantastic Double Prime episode, the Headmaster's telepathic powers are properly explained in this episode, albeit by the narrator, as an ability they developed on Planet Master. Was that hinted in that episode? I think there was something. I mean, there there, there was a lot of kind of suggestions. Didn't Fortress there. call out to Prime because he was using, like, his heat vision r- radar thing? Possibly, yeah. That there, seems there familiar. Was, there was definitely some weird stuff that happened in that episode, so... Uh, okay, well, I won't read it in full, but all I'm going to say is Galvatron will return. Yeah, I, I, I've, I, 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 I've, I've seen later scenes from this series so i at least knew that galvatron <laughs> was not i'm surprised the narrator didn't say that in a kind of optimus prime will return fashion but uh... okay well you know what i'm just gonna say this now Andy. if you want me to take it out of the edit just tell me but despite his promise rodimus prime does not return in the course of the headmasters cartoon okay. he did however come back from his final journey in the final chapter of the comic no, okay, <laughs> man, I'm that. So that, that is that is actually the swan song of Rodimus Prime. <laughs> that just makes that even wilder. Which I mean, to be fair, like if you were in charge and like the planet you were in charge of protecting got blown up, I mean, it's probably a good time to resign. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, it it fits in terms of this show is called the Headmasters, and you probably want to make them the focal point, but. Yeah, man. Don't, don't you have some Rodimus Prime and Hot Rod toys to sell still, Japan? Do, do, do you not need need this guy around? I mean, does this imply that, you know, Cup was a hot seller? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe they just wanted to sunset, uh, sunset those guys. Yeah, oh, blimey. Uh, animation and technical errors. Several pieces of footage are reused from the first episode of Headmasters for Warriors Come Out of the Sky, including aerial dives by Vortex and Blastoff, Jazz Returning Fire, and a skirmish between Superion, Abominus, and Devastator. I did I did notice Devastator randomly appear at one point now they mention it. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. So, continuity errors. Not only does Rodimus feel the need to run away very quickly on his boy's own mission with Cup and Blur, presumably lest RC followed them, it doesn't seem to occur to him that the Autobots already have a peaceful planet to live on. Athenia. (laughs) But of course, that wouldn't allow him to get out of the way and let Fortress assume command. Yeah, yeah, it's... I, I wonder whether they even had, like, you know, he says he's going on a journey. Like, I wonder if they even had anything in mind for that, or it was literally just a, like, ah, oh, this is just a good line to write him out of the show, given what we know now. Maybe he was going on the Transformers equivalent of, like, the Galaxy Railway from Leiji Matsumoto's anime, where it's just a train journey that's just endless across yeah. the entire universe, and it comes <laughs> around, like, once a century. <laughs> I mean, that, that there's your, like, train bot spin off. <laughs> <laughs> This is just Rodimus and the train bots, just for all eternity. (laughs) Furthermore, his decision to install Fortress as new leader because of his youth makes little sense given that Fortress is roughly the same age as most other Transformers seen since the start of G1, having left Cybertron four million years ago and having known Cup. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't really make sense. 
if anything, Rodimus is the more youthful of the two, given that, as Hot Rod, he was shown to be something of a Cybertronian teenager, implying that he was built later than Optimus and Co. It's probably supposed to refer to to some uh, to Fortress, excuse me, and the other headmasters not literally being younger, but being more of a new generation of Transformers with their crazy powers and tech. But it's still really iffy. Mm. Yeah, yeah, uh, that that would have made a lot more sense if it's just like it's time for a new generation who do weird telepathy stuff and swap their heads when they feel like it. I've just read this point and I actually agree. It doesn't help that Cybertron's destruction makes not only Optimus Prime sacrifice earlier in the season completely pointless, but pretty much every other character who died on both si- sides did so completely in vain. Yeah, yeah, I mean, after after all of that, that's, this, this is the end result. And uh, as I noted as well, how is Daniel breathing when the Autobots are standing on the shattered chunk of Cybertron at the end? Would it really retain an atmosphere or sufficient gravity, for that matter? Yeah, who can who who can who can say? I mean, I I feel like they've taken enough liberties with like humans being on Cybertron, okay as it is. So I, I'm just willing to like suspend disbelief on that at some point. So trivia notes. There's quite a few here, so we should get through them. The devastation of Cybertron is probably the single most famous event from the Headmasters anime, and is well known even among those fans who have not seen the series themselves. The planet would later show up seemingly unscathed by the time of G2, and its rebuilding was depicted decades later in Unite Warriors. Uh, Unite Warriors is a 2015 Takara Tomy toy line, the Japanese counterpart to Combiner Wars, apparently. Uh, while most Combiner Wars figures were sold separately, United Warriors consisted entirely of boxed sets of complete Combiners, often retooled and recolored more accurately, in quotation marks, uh, resembling the characters' cartoon appearances. On occasion, people wonder why Rodimus did not give Fortress the Matrix when he made him leader. Well, for no real reason, that's just not really how things work in Japan. There are fewer Supreme Commanders who have held the Matrix than the, than there are those who haven't. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, it would be even more confusing, the whole Fortress, Fortress Maximus thing, if we also had to think about Fortress Prime and does he, is he then Fortress Maximus Prime? And yeah, it's just too, far too much effort. <laughs> I'm glad Rodimus took the Matrix with him. <laughs> Despite the episodes featuring the final appearances of Rodimus Cup and Blur, they continue to appear in the show's introduction sequence, which was never altered despite their exit happening so soon in the show's airing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, well, there, there's been plenty of an anime opening where they've added or removed characters, but I can understand the desire not to bother. Mm. It had been speculated for years that the planet Rodimus goes out to find is Micro. Uh, planet Micro is the homeworld of the Micromasters. Okay. Because one, when Rodimus returns years later in Return of Convoy, he is a Micromaster. The Transformers Legend comic would eventually confirm this. Yeah, yeah, yeah I suppose. And just like randomly ends up there and just like, oh, this seems cool. Mm. This will do. Mindwipe doesn't seem to like bats. Hmm. <laughs> Horrid pun time. Razor Claw asks the trainbot Shoki if they are 
sane, which is pronounced shoki. Uh. The Autobot simply replies, I'm shoki. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love Japanese wordplay. It's the best. So there is one other note here, but it's referring to sort of Ask Vector Prime and the Japanese timeline, which I'm not going to go into. If you want to read that, folks, head over to the TF Wiki's page for Cybertron's and Grave Danger Part 2, and you can read the mountains of info there about that, because I don't think it really applies to this. But Andy, to conclude our notes on the TF Wiki here, it's time for foreign localization. <laughs> so, as we talked about, the Italian name of the episode was Cybertron is in Danger. In Spanish, it was Crisis on the Planet Cybertron. Mandarin was Cybertron under the shadow of Crisis. When it comes to the Omni Productions, uh, Omni Productions dub, yeah, that is how you say it. I thought I said it wrong, but I didn't. The Omni, Produc Omni Productions dialogue script included on the Region 2 release of the Headmasters series gives the title as Crisis on the Cybertrons Part 2. <laughs> Not, that is actually true, come to think of it. Uh, show, oh, here we go, right. Shoki, rather than Raiden, is identified, as, or Raiden, excuse me, is identified as Grimlock in this script. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a mistake. Uh, Razorclaw and Soundblaster are identified as Sogo and Puda, respectively. Dive, fom Dive Bomb, excuse me, is referred to as Bo. Ah, oh, Omni Productions. So, Shout Factory subtitles. The review of the last episode shown before the title card is omitted. Okay, so there was a preview, there was an episode recap then, so that makes sense. The bombs countdown in minutes is first translated as cycles and then clicks onward. Is that someone just trying to be fancy? <laughs> I mean, probably. I mean, clicks doesn't even make sense because that's a measure of distance, not time. Um, mm. Somebody just heard it and thought it sounded cool, I guess. So that wraps up the talk on that episode, Andy. When it comes to trivia notes, is there anything else additional you would like to add that you noted before we uh, before we start to wrap up proceedings for today? No, no, nothing, nothing else. I'm just excited to get to the next episode, to be honest, because uh, yeah, there's there's a lot, a lot up in the air, but uh, a lot for the series to play with at this point. Well, next time, folks, we will be sticking to our two-episode format, so we'll be covering episodes, that's not a word, episodes, episodes 11, 11 and 12. <laughs> I'll get there in the end, folks, it's been a while. Episodes 11 and 12, which, for your reference, Andy, have the following titles per the TF Wiki. Episode 11 is The Shadow Emperor Scorponok, which I'm going to assume is meant to be Zarak. Yeah, although maybe he's going to go full Scorponok now. I mean, he's maybe. <laughs> and then episode 12 is, per the TF Wiki, the dormant volcano mysteriously erupts. <laughs> I wonder what's <laughs> going to happen in that episode. <laughs> Spoiler! <laughs> I've just seen a screenshot from the episode. This might be an interesting episode, Andy. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> There's a screenshot of a volcano mysteriously erupting. But, uh... <laughs> Ironically, no, funnily enough. Oh, okay. well. but, uh, but folks, there we go. That wraps up this edition of the podcast. If you want to find us on social media, you can find our Twitter and Instagram accounts under the name of at StarscreamsPod. You can also find our Patreon page, which is not looking for any pledges or money, as it were. It's literally a long-term audio archive solution for the podcast. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash Ghost. 
And of course, if you have been watching the video version here on YouTube, first of all, hi YouTube, hope you've enjoyed the show. Why not give the show a like and leave some comments below as well? And every single episode of the podcast that we have recorded does have a video version. If you simply go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you'll find our channel just fine. You can find all of the episodes archived there. And of course, if you're a first-time listener and you found us through the likes of Spotify, Apple and such, our podcast should be available on as many services as we can so do feel free to spread the word and tell a friend we would really really appreciate it andy before we conclude anything else you would like to wrap up with no i am just hoping that i'm not unfortunately stuck in this chair <laughs> find out next time i guess folks although that said the next time you watch us if you're on youtube we'll still be in these chairs so you know yeah i mean you've never seen us <laughs> not in these chairs perhaps we've been stuck all along just like <laughs> who knows until next time everybody from myself jeremy Grays, from him mr andy hanley thank you for listening to star screams goes to transformers podcast until next time which all going well should be within the next couple of weeks of you hearing this take care and speak to you soon bye everyone <laughs>